Let's go ahead and pray and ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, I give thanks to you this morning for these men and the the joy that it is to be with them. I thank you, Lord, that um, uh, you bless us once we come together and we um, spend time together and we see the, the good and the profit that can come from us being together. It's hard to see that when the alarm goes off on a Saturday morning and it's early. I thank you, Lord, that these men were able to make it. And I pray, God, that you would now bless our time in your word, that um, the result of it would be that we would love you more, we would depend upon you more, that we would see our need for you more in regards to uh, our hearts, and that, God, you would be glorified in our lives because we are seeking to um, live a life that is pleasing to you, not on our own efforts, but by the power of your spirit within us and in accordance with your word. So, Lord, we desperately need you and pray that you would draw near to us now as we draw near to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, what we're basically doing today is we're just looking at a a whole collection of Proverbs. um, Four, seven, nine, about 11 or so different Proverbs. Um, and just kind of categorizing them and asking four questions. So God's wise assessment of the heart should lead the believer to ask himself these four questions. So let's just go ahead and start with number one. And I got a blank for you to fill in there. Do I value God's assessment of my heart more than my own assessment of my heart? Um, It's an important question to be able to have a good answer to in your homework coming up over the next two weeks is you'll actually write out an answer to this. Uh, And it needs to be more than yes. Um, You have to expand a little bit on that. But let's look at four different Proverbs on this. Uh, The first one, Proverbs 20, verse 9. You can see it there on your sheet. Who can say, I have cleansed my heart. I am pure from my sin. Um, And the obvious answer to that is no one. No one can say that. Um, a New Testament parallel, if you'll turn there, is 1 John 1.8. You know this. But I, I want you to understand um, how this verse is working. So Proverbs 29 says, Who can say, I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from my sin. And here's the way that John puts it in 1 John 1.8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Who's he talking to? Who's John talking to? Christians. Now, is it true that um, an unbeliever cannot, uh, should be able, shouldn't say this as well? An unbeliever shouldn't say, I have no sin. Um, but he is talking about deceivers, deceivers, <laughs> believers who can become <laughs> deceived. <laughs> Same thing. Um, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, where's the reset button? Uh, it's in Russia somewhere. Um, if we, <laughs> Unbelievers should not say this. Oh, I have no sin, but he's talking to believers. And I think the same thing is happening with what Solomon is doing in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. Uh, these questions, like who would say, I have cleansed my heart, I'm, I'm pure for my sin. Who can say that? That question is not primarily attacking the wrong idea that a sinner could clean himself up and get saved. That's not what that question is trying to um, resolve or fix. Rather, what that statement is by uh, Solomon back in Proverbs 20 verse 9 
It's a wise Old Testament believer advising his son um, that there's no one who can claim in any situation in life to have a total or complete purity of heart and purity of motive. The heart will always have some corruption in it due to sin. Do you remember when we talked about, I'll pull out the, the card, right? Is it true that no one here on this side who's be, before they're in Christ, in, all they are is in this unmixed condition of sin. That person cannot say, I have cleansed my heart and I'm pure from sin. We know that, right? We get total depravity. We get total inability. But what, what Solomon is addressing is this guy in the middle. Who here can say, I have cleansed my heart, I'm pure from my sin. His point is that in everything we do, there is a degree of impurity still in heart. Who is the fellow on here who does not have that? In heaven. Uh, Who can say it there? Every single person in heaven can say it. And even then they wouldn't say, I have cleansed my heart. They would say, but my heart is clean now. That doesn't mean that there is not forgiveness of sin. That's 1 John 1, 8. Confess your sin and he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So remember, we're in a mixed condition in which you still cannot say, I'm, I'm clean from sin. So what does your mixed life look like this past week? It does not look this way. Your, your past week was not mixed in this sense. That on Mondays and Wednesdays and Friday, on Monday, Wednesday and Friday, you had pure motives, but Tuesday, Thursday, and today and, and tomorrow, you've got impure motives. That's not what a mixed condition looks like. Um, rather, every single thought that I have thought this week is not perfectly pure. Because I still have sin indwelling me, and so do you. Every conversation that I've had, every set of words that I've formed in my mind to be ready to speak, still have an influence of sin upon them. Every attitude that I displayed, every deed that I did, every desire that I formulate that comes from within, all of them are still influenced by sin. Now, um, is that all there is? Is that all there is in this believer in the middle? No, it's mixed. But the point is, sin is still there. In fact, write down Romans 15, verse 14. And then you can turn there real quick. Just so that we do get the right, uh, so we complete our understanding a little bit here. Uh, Romans 15, verse 14. Here's what Paul says to the believers in Rome. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. Is there goodness in the believer's life? Yes. It's also could be said that it's possible in every thought that there was some goodness there. It is also possible that in every conversation you had, there was some goodness there. It's also possible that in your attitudes, that there was some goodness there. We want to acknowledge that as well. But what he's saying is, what, what 
Solomon is saying, and I think it's the same thing that John is saying in 1 John 1.8, is that there is not one thought that you can think that is entirely pure. Because you're just not in a condition in which that is even possible. A day is coming when it will happen, when, when you die. And you see Jesus, or he comes back, and we are raised up with him. Let me give you just some more examples of this mixed condition. I want you to go to the book of James in the New Testament. Go to James chapter 1. A believer in Jesus Christ, though you are in a much, 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 infinitely better condition than you were before you were in Christ, you are still not in the best condition you will know, that's been promised to you, that you've given a down payment of and for. Look at what James says to believers. James chapter 1, verse 14. Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Is that true for unbelievers? Sure. Is it true for believers? Yes. Uh, That's who he's talking about. Um, Verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Is it possible for you to deceive your own heart right now? There is. As long as sin is present in you, it's still possible to deceive your own heart. How about chapter 2, verse 1? My brethren, now we know who he's talking to specifically, Believers in Jesus Christ, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. That's sinfulness, personal favoritism. It is possible to hold your faith in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ with that kind of sin. How about verse 4? Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Is he talking only to unsaved believers there? Unbelievers? No. Um. He's talking to the believers. We can become judges with evil motives. Um, chapter 3, verse 9. Here's a great example of uh, a mixed condition. He's talking about the tongue, that it is a fire. Let not many of you become teachers because um, you have to use your tongue all the time. Verse 9, with it, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men. That's a pretty mixed condition, isn't it not? Um, verse 10, and from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send forth from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? And the answer to that in nature is no. It doesn't do that on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. It's pure water. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, it's impure water. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives? No. A vine produce figs? No. Can salt water produce fresh? No. But here we are with a mouth that's very mixed. Because the heart is very mixed and the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Um, chapter four, verse three, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. We have wrong motives. Chapter five, verse 16, confess your sins to one another. I mean, we are, we are in a mixed condition in which sin is still present within us. So do I value God's assessment of my heart more than my own assessment of my heart? Um, Each of us, because of this truth that we are still tainted by sin, we should hold an appropriate suspicion over our hearts. Not a, not a, let me give you two poles to avoid. There needs to be an an appropriate suspicion that you hold over your own heart. 
And here's one pull to avoid. Some people will, will look and think, some believers will think of, okay, I'm, I still have indwelling sin, so there is never anything good that ever comes out of me. Never. Every thought is, is only evil all of the time. And some will go that far over on that side, and that forgets and neglects verses like Romans 15, 14, that I, I know, brethren, because of Christ's work in you, you're full of goodness. There is goodness in you because of Jesus Christ. Now, there is no one good, not even one. That is the unbeliever. And when you get saved by God's grace in Jesus Christ, you become full of goodness, which is different than saying, I'm good. Um, like an unbeliever might to try to make a claim to be self-righteous. So you want to avoid one poll that says, There's no, I never do anything that's right. No, you can think right thoughts. You can say right things. You can do good deeds. You can have good that comes from your life. But you also need to avoid the other poll. And this is the one that I'm really trying to address here. Is that um, some people will say in certain circumstances, no, you can't question that decision of mine because it was pure. Beware. There is no one who can say, I have cleansed my heart. I am pure from sin in this decision. There is no one who can say that. Why? Because you are a mixed creature and every thought is a mixed thought. And every word spoken is a mixed word spoken. And every attitude is a mixed attitude. And every deed is a mixed deed. And every desire is a mixed desire in this life. That's what God saved you into out of a completely unmixed life. Where all of your thoughts, all of the time, were only evil continually. And he saved you to this mixed condition. And a time is coming when you will have only pure thoughts and only pure attitudes and only pure deeds and only pure desires. And you will only speak of pure things all of the time. But that's not now. And you cannot claim in a decision making process or at some point. Listen, uh, honey, you, I don't know what you're questioning me on this for because I've really prayed about this. And I'm, my heart is pure on this. Beware. You have no scripture backing you up on that. Yes, you are full of goodness, but you have forgotten the influence of sin upon your life still as a believer. Do you understand? A mixed condition. And so you need to value not your own assessment of your heart. Beware of your own assessment of your heart. Listen, try to assess your heart. You have, he, you have the word of God, Hebrews 4.12, to help you judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. You need to try to assess your heart. But at the end of the day, because you still have sin, you're going to deceive yourself about your heart at times. And you need to value God's assessment of your heart more than you value your own. Do you understand what we're saying here? So avoid the pulls. Let's look at the next um, verse. Proverbs 21.2. Every man's way is right in his own eyes, but Yahweh weighs the heart's. Guys, you know this in Proverbs 21 too. You know this first part. Every man's way is right in his own eyes. I mean, man, there are times when you've made a decision or you've gone a course and you know in your heart, you know that it was right. It was the right thing to do and it was right from the middle of it all the way to the outside of it, to the front, to the back, to the top, to the bottom. It is right. Who could question what I've done? And yet there is somebody standing in front of you questioning what you've done. Right? 
just feels absolutely impossible sometimes that the path that you've chosen is not right. And you see, that's when we find ourselves at that one pole that we need to avoid. Um, We're far too easily impressed at times with our ability to choose the right path to walk. Now, notice what man's eyes are looking at in the first part of the verse. Every man's what? Way. His path. His course of action that he is taking. His course of thought that he's taking. His, his, his movement that he's taking. We're looking at the path. What's God looking at? Ah, He's weighing the kind of person we are. Not what we're doing. He's measuring that too, trust me. But he's weighing what? Who you are inwardly. We're looking at choices. We're looking at the results of choices. We're looking at actions. We're looking at implications from the actions that we've done. We're looking at the path. We're looking at the way. And God is looking at the kind of inner man that we were before we made the choice, while we're making the choice, and as we're living with the choice. Whose sight and whose weighing is more valuable, is more trustworthy? You want God's assessment of your heart. So listen, does that mean that you should panic and and paralyze yourself and not make any decisions and not go any way or go down any path? No. You have to make decisions and you need to make decisions and you should make decisions. And at the end of the day, there's going to be times when you're sure that you did the right thing. But just know that there's God who's weighing your heart. And value his assessment of what's going on. And don't be surprised if somebody, if God would raise up somebody in your life to come along and say, hey, can I ask a question about the path you've chosen? That might be exactly the way that he wants you to see that he's been weighing your heart. Right? How about Proverbs twenty-eight twenty-six? He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But he who walks wisely will be delivered. Is it true that unbelievers trust in their own heart? Yeah. Is that what his point is here? Let me describe for you the unbeliever and then I'll describe for you the believer. The unbeliever trusts in his own heart is a fool, but the believer is the one who walks wisely and will be delivered. Or is it possible that he is talking about a believer both times? I believe that is the case. And what is trusting in your own heart? Trusting, that's when you look at what, you've, what you are inwardly and you say, there's no reason to find any reason to question what I'm doing or what I'm thinking or what I'm pursuing. That's trusting in your own heart. We'll look at another verse here in a moment about that. But trusting in your heart, your own heart in that sense is contrasted with what? Walking wisely. Okay, so that means that trusting in your own heart and walking wisely are at odds with one another. They're not the same thing. It is not walking wisely when you are what? Trusting in your own heart. Um, And what does this proverb imply about the outcome for you if you do trust in your own heart? First off, there's not a very nice word that you wouldn't want associated with yourself in that because the one who trusts in his own heart is fool, but also then look at how the last part of the verse ends. But he who walks wisely will be what? Delivered. Meaning that there's a trap. 
if you trust in your own heart, you're only going to fall into a trap. But if you walk wisely, you'll be delivered from any trap. Here's a quote for you um, from uh, a man named Lawson, not Steve Lawson, but in his Proverbs commentary. If any cheat had deceived us a hundred times, we would certainly deserve the character of fools if we trusted him one more time. Would we not? And we are great strangers at home if we are not sensible, sensible that it has been the common practice of our hearts to impose falsehoods on us from our youth up. We would be called a fool if a cheat, some man who's a cheat, some man who's a liar, some man who's a deceiver, deceived us a hundred times, and then we bought his line one more time. We'd be called a fool. And yet what we don't realize is, that's me. <laughs> that's my heart. Um, I listen to myself far more than I should. How about Jeremiah 17.9? Do you remember this, guys? Let's turn there and take a look at it together. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else. Just full stop. We've illustrated it this way many times. If you were to go across the planet for the rest of your days and take a log book with you and write down, and you, you, your goal was you were searching for everything that was deceitful in this world, and you logged it down and you wrote down, this is deceitful, that is deceitful. He was deceitful. She was deceitful. And you made your list of all of the deceitful things that you could find in this world. You would have to leave a space at the top where number one is. Because the heart is more deceitful than anything else anywhere. That's God's assessment of the human condition inwardly. It's true when you're an unbeliever. And it's true when you're a believer. Why? Because sin is present in both. Yes, sin is completely dominant within the unbeliever, but sin's effect still... What Has sin gone easy on you in Christ? Sin says to you now, before Christ, he says, you know, look, I know that before you were in Christ, I used to deceive you all the time. I don't know what I'm thinking now. I'm not going to do that anymore to you now that you are in Christ. I won't deceive you anymore. I know I'm present. Well, every once in a while, I'm going to whack you upside the head when you weren't looking, but I'm not going to... De- what the nature of sin has not changed within you now that you are in Christ. You are still easily duped by the deceitfulness of sin. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Do I value God's assessment of my own heart more than I value my assessment of my heart? How about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? You see it there. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Here's just the clear positive command concerning your inner man as a believer. Gather up all that you are inwardly, all of your heart. Gather up all that you are inwardly before God and entrust yourself to Yahweh. There's, there it is positively. 
Take what you are inwardly and cast it upon the Lord. And then here's the clear negative command concerning your inner man as a believer. And do not lean on your own understanding. Do not rest on it. Do not lean on it with the sense of it propping you up. Don't do that at all. Now why does, why does he say this? Look at um, Proverbs chapter 3. If you're not turned to it, you need to know. I want you to see that. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your hearts keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Listen, if you want the length of days, you want the years of life, you want your heart to keep the commandments of God, you want to be a kind man, a truthful man, you want these things written on the tablet of your heart, you want to find favor and good repute in the sight of men, then that means you're going to need to take everything that you are inwardly and cast yourselves upon the Lord. And as you move outward then from your inner man to the paths that you've chosen from the heart. Even then, look at verse 6. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. He's moved outside of the man to the choices that he has made and is walking. In all of your ways, in all of your paths, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. So as you move outward from yourself to the paths that you've chosen from the heart, still continue to acknowledge God. Turn away from yourself. Don't look to yourself. Don't, don't lean upon your own understanding. Even in your walking, keep looking to God. Solomon intends to make it clear that for the Old Testament believer, there should always be a looking away from self to God in everything at all time. That's what he's saying. So be very careful with your own assessment of your heart. You were called to search your heart. You were called to use God's word to judge the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. You were called to do that. And you are still going to need help from him and depend upon him more of what he says about your heart from the word of God than what your assessment is of your heart. Avoid two poles. Avoid the pole that I never do anything right. Okay, look. There is some, Jesus did save you. There is some goodness that is there that he has put there by his own doing so that you would walk in good deeds and so that you would do good things to others. Um, so avoid that. Probably, I can't remember the last time I dealt with somebody who is probably more there. What I have seen in shepherding is somebody who's more on the other side, really defensive, not about the entirety of his life. I am without sin as a whole, as a man. I've never heard anybody say that. But where I've come across this in in my shepherding and in our shepherding as elders here is a man saying, in this area, you can't question me. I mean, and don't we have disagreements sometimes with one another about that? I mean, even in in our marriages, I mean, our wife... Is trying to question something we did, and, and we're acting like there's no sin anywhere in what I did. Hmm. Value God's assessment of your heart more than your own. Number two, on the back. 
Am I more inclined to carefully control my heart or blindly follow my heart? Now, I put three um, Proverbs there very close together. Now, watch this. Notice all three of these verses are commands. Two from, from a believing father to a believing son. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not let your heart envy sinners. Solomon's clear expectation for his son is that his son would control his heart. Do you see that? Do not desire her beauty in your heart. You've got beauty, uh, there's a beauty in a woman in your heart. There's a desire uh, for that beauty of that woman who's not your wife. Do not do that. Do not let your heart do that. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. There's a desire in your heart to possibly turn off the path of righteousness and turn towards a woman who's not your wife. Solomon says to his son, do not let your heart do that. You see sinners who have more than what you've got. They're prospering. And you have envy in your heart towards that. Do not let your heart do that. Solomon's clear expectation for his son is that his son would control his own heart, that his son would shepherd his heart. It implies that the heart is wayward. That it needs to be carefully watched. Isn't that what Jacob told us? Watch over your hearts with all diligence, right? For from it flow the springs of life. How about Proverbs twenty three nineteen as well? Listen, my son, and be wise and direct your heart in the way. In fact, I would write that one down. Proverbs twenty three nineteen, Direct your heart in the way. So here's a question to ask yourself as you're going throughout your day, as you're even making decisions and facing crossroads in your life. Am I controlling my heart right now? Am I directing my heart right now? Or do I just kind of blindly follow whatever my heart says and feels and thinks and does? The implication here in the teaching from Proverbs is that you're to control your heart. And and the way that we say it is shepherd your heart, right? Who's controlling who? Are you controlling your heart or is your heart controlling you? Is your heart guiding you around? Are you blindly just following whatever desires in your heart? See, if you think wrongly about yourself, if you assess yourself wrongly, um, you can just think, well, because my heart thought it and I'm a Christian... I can follow it. It's okay. That's scary. It might be. It might be a good thought. It might not be a good thought. And it's one that's tainted anyway. Thirdly, and then remember, guys, Proverbs 28, 26, right? The very um, one we looked at. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Um, So you don't want to trust in it. You want to guide your heart. Um. Number three, do I know in what ways my heart is vulnerable? There is your other blank. Do I know in what ways my heart is vulnerable? V-U-L-N-E-R-A-B-L-E, just in case you need that help. Now, here's two Proverbs, Proverbs 12.5 and Proverbs 13.12, that talk about um, how easily the heart is affected by... um, By either sin or adverse situations, unfavorable situations. Look at Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. 
but a good word makes it glad. So anxiety, anxiousness, um, worry is sin. What impact does the sin of anxiety or worry have on your heart? It causes your heart to sink like a stone under the weight of that sin, Solomon says, down to the, to the depths of despair where perhaps it can no longer, your heart can no longer apprehend gospel comforts to you, uh, where your heart can no longer offer thanks to God because it cannot see how God could be good in this situation. So anxiety in a man's heart weighs that heart down. But, but there's good news. Look how easily the heart can be encouraged. A good word makes the heart glad. All it takes is just a good word. But here's a heart that is vulnerable to anxiety. Okay? Proverbs thirteen twelve. There's something else that impacts the heart adversely. Here it's hope that is deferred. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Um, That's the heart hoping and and counting on something to happen, but it just keeps being out of reach. It's like the carrot on the end of the stick, and you keep walking towards the carrot, but the carrot keeps moving too. And hope just keeps being deferred and put off. That can make the heart sick. So in one sense, the heart sinks. In this sense, the heart is sick. Um, and this made me just think about, like, even for us, we need to be careful what people and pursuits we put our hope in. If you put your hope in your situations changing or people getting better and nicer to you and um, less sinful around you, man, that's hope deferred. You're just going to keep having a hope that's going to keep getting pushed off and pushed off because you have the hope in the wrong thing. And the result from that is the heart can become sick. Um, and I think even as moms and dads, I see myself at times defer hope from my son because I'll make promises that I maybe didn't think through about keeping. And he sets his hope in my promise. And because I may not act on it, it keeps deferring it, keeps deferring it, keeps deferring it. And next thing I know, his heart has been impacted adversely. You're saying that hope here is, uh, is, is that reference is more worldly hope? Not necessarily. Because this is true even for godly things. Like, um, let's say that a widow has an injustice done against her. And her hope is a righteous hope that there would be justice. As long as it's deferred. Paul's in, in, in jail for two years plus, And he shouldn't be in jail for two years plus. His hope is that he would not be in jail. What's the impact upon the heart? It, it can make the heart sick. So whether it's righteous things or worldly temporal hopes, um, you certainly want to recognize that you should put your hope in the right thing. Um, but there are other hopes that we have that we should put our hopes in that are righteous, that are godly, that may not come. Uh, but a deferred hope will make the heart sick. M. Expand on it. Uh, say it again. In the discerning between what? What's a good rule of thumb in discerning um, the heart's influence in the midst of doing a righteous act? Hmm. It's a great question. What do you guys think? Anybody got an initial thought? 
because if I'm making a, a proper connection, I don't want to not be. But if this we focus on the way in, like you said, God looks at the heart, if we're focused on the way that we see the individual we're already trusting in our heart and bypassing, and assessing another, potentially. Could be. Could be. Yeah. So what else? Go ahead. Don't no, finish up. No, sure. it's, it's a, looking at the decision and focused on the decision and not assessing the heart. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, you, you don't want to neglect the condition of your heart of the decision that you're making. And a lot of times that's what we, that's the problem is we're just thinking about the decision. We're not thinking about what's going on inwardly in that. And we don't want to do that. Um, Mark, you had your hand up and then we'll. No. John. Uh, I don't know. I didn't quite get that. Sorry. Here, I'm here, but uh, I don't think we want to be duped into thinking that our hearts are pure just because we're doing something righteous. So we might be walking into something that's good, but we just want to, we still want to have all these cautions. I mean, we don't want to look at that act and say, this is a really good thing to do. So that must mean my heart is pure. Yeah. You ever done something good and you just knew your attitude was lousy? Now, what would you, what, what should believers do? Should you still do the deed, even though your attitude is lousy? Yes. But we, we, we can deceive ourselves into a place of thinking that, well, I, I'm not going to, I didn't go to a small group tonight or I didn't go to church on Sunday because I, my, I, my heart just wasn't in a good place. Go. Maybe God will use what's going on there and other people to make your heart be in a better place, right? I'm not sure we're still answering M's question yet. Are you, are you going back to his question? Go, Tom. The role of other men, people in your life, other counsel is, is really helpful. Mark, now we're back to you. If, 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 if the, the truth is that I can, I'll never be able to completely and totally um, discern my heart's condition accurately, and I will never be able to purify every poor, sinful strain in my heart in a, in a certain decision, then why, why am I evaluating? Um, well, we're evaluating because we need to use the word of God to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. We, we do need to. But at the end of the day, um, there cannot be um, paralysis caused by analysis. Right? And we can do that. If we're going to wait until we're sure that our heart is at 80% purity on a decision, you know, 
in that sense, we, we just need to know, okay, I'm gonna look away. I'm not gonna trust in my own understanding. I'm gonna get counsel from others. I'm going to use the word of God to measure it the best that I can, the decision that's in front of me. I'm going to pray. Um, I, I would refer us back to um, the, the lesson we did on um, biblical decision making. There's a whole last section there of, of positive things that you can do to help yourself make sure you're making a good decision. Um, and, and, and just make the, the best decision you can, knowing that you're tainted by sin. And so how does it make you hold on to your decision? Knowing that you're tainted by sin at the end of the day. How do you hold on to it? You hold loosely and you hold humbly. Recognizing that there may be something in this decision I made. As far as I can tell, it's the, it was the best one to make. I, I prayed. I, I didn't. I wasn't hasty in my decision-making process. I, I tried to really be careful. I weighed pros and cons. I, I did all of the things that I did, but yet at the end of the day, I know what kind of man I am. And so, honey, here's the way we're going to go. And let's trust the Lord with it. Let's not lean on our own understanding. Let's trust the Lord with it and see how, how it goes. Mark. If we, if we, uh break it down from just not my heart is pure in this area of my life um, to, to the, the, the areas of scripture that that area in your life represents then we're not really looking at our own heart we're being through That's good. And all I'm doing is, is being honest, and it's not me looking at my heart, because in my mind, in my heart, between here and here, yeah. good is going to come out of that. Yeah. That's good. M. That's all right. You can ask as many as you want. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think I'd probably answer it similarly and, and think of it in, in the same vein. This is why it's so important for us to, to do this together, right? Because if I do it on my own, if, um, if I'm pursuing conformity to Christ on my own, there's, there's, I've drastically limited my perspective on me um, to primarily me. Um, and, and the word of God as well. But I can, how much better is it when I have people who are close to me in my life, who see my life and they have a perspective on my life that they can assess their perspective of me against my perspective of me, against another person's perspective of me. Um, and, and so uh, God has given to us, a, 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 we are new creations in the sense that now there's even new desires within this heart of mine that I have, um, and I want to be conformed to the image of Christ. I want to. 
And yet I can deceive myself at times into how it's going, the rate of how fast it's going, uh, the depth of it, the quality of it, the sincerity of it. And that's where I, um, in being aware of that, I want to involve the lives of others. I need to be involved in community, and, and, but particularly people who are committed to this, who when they look at my life aren't looking at my life away from the Word of God, but they're looking at my life through the Word of God so that I can have a sense from them that as they look at Scripture and look at my life, um, their assessment's going to help me put together the pieces of the pie. Um, You've got a piece of the pie of you. And so does your wife have a piece of the pie that is you. And so do the other people in your life who are close to you. They have a piece of the pie. Your piece of the pie of you is not the pie. And neither is your wife. And you need to put all of them together and assess them all together to say, how is the pie doing? You know? So. I think that's a really good point. Um, in, in using scripture and using the, the body of Christ to, to kind of help discern your own heart. Uh, kind of a helpful analogy for me is, you know, if I get up in the morning before I leave, I want to look presentable. Um, you know, what do you do to look presentable? And even more trustworthy with how you look is not the mirror, but your wife. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. What do you mean plaid doesn't go with stripes? What are you talking about? That's right. All right, so we are back on number three here on do you know in what ways your heart is vulnerable? And the point is, here are two examples from Proverbs of what can make a heart sink and what can make a heart sick. In one case, it's anxiety. In another case, it's hope deferred. What is it for you? It might be one of these two things. It might be both of these things. It might be seven other things. But what is it for you? Do you understand that your heart is in a condition in which it can sink? Your heart is in a condition in which it can be made sick. What it, it's vulnerable. It's not Iron Man. Okay? What is it that's going to make you vulnerable? You need to know that so that when, for instance, for me, anxiety can make my heart sink. I'm easily influenced by worry. Um, I need to be aware of that about me so that when I all of a sudden start thinking it's, it's tax time, it's this time, it's we, the money and we, uh, the, the building, and uh, I can easily get myself in a place with anxiety. The next thing I know, inwardly speaking before God, I'm sinking. It's harder for me to be thankful. It's harder for me to see his goodness. It's harder for me to be able to uh, entrust myself to gospel truths and biblical truth about God, about myself, about his church, about things. I have to know that about me. I have to know where my heart is vulnerable. Do you know where your heart is vulnerable? You need to. Okay. Number four, lastly, when I am in trouble, do I ever back up and consider my heart? There's your blank heart. When I'm in trouble, do I ever back up and consider my heart? Now, before we look at the uh, two verses here from Proverbs, let me explain to you what I mean. Let's talk about this in, in, a, in third person. Suppose that you come upon a friend 
um, your friend's life. Your friend has asked you, hey, I need to get together with you. I've got to talk to you about something. And you sit with your friend and your friend is absolutely devastated. His life has unraveled before you. Um, he is uh, spiritually at the bottom. He doesn't know um, uh, which way is up. He is, he's just devastated. And you don't even know exactly why yet. You just hear him say that he is. Um, how do you care for that man? Uh, let me give you just a couple of just basic principle things to begin with, and then we'll get to the Proverbs, as you'll see. The first thing you should do when, you, when you're with somebody like that, and they're at the bottom, and they're undone by something, and you're not even sure what it is, the first thing you should do is, is number one, just enter into their distress, knowing that you too have been that way, and you probably will be that way again at some point. Enter into their distress. Um, sympathize with them. Care for them. Cry for with him. Um, Tell him you understand how trouble is a commonplace for mankind on earth and you know it. Just enter into it. Um, you can do that without validating their motives or anything like that. Just be sympathetic. Secondly, think carefully about their trouble because the existence of trouble or calamity doesn't automatically mean that the believer was foolish. You got a biblical example for that? Who, oh yeah, trouble itself, the presence of trouble does not automatically mean that the believer had been foolish. Job. Job was righteous in all of his ways. And he had horrible calamity. So you have to have a category for that. So don't just quick respond that, oh, he's in trouble, so he's been an idiot. Right? Nevertheless, though... As a, as a good brother in Christ, you need to gently, carefully help him back up and evaluate his thinking, his decision-making prior to the calamity because, Proverbs eighteen twelve. what's it say? Before destruction, what's the condition of the heart oftentimes? It's arrogant. What happens before destruction can come into a life? Or what happens sometimes before destruction comes into a life? Man may have been very arrogant, very haughty. But humility goes before honor. You see, the presence of destruction, a life that is spiritually being undone, that's an opportunity to evaluate the influence that pride possibly had in bringing the calamity. You might be dealing with Job and there was no pride. You might be dealing with a man where, no, he was absolutely arrogant, unleashed in his life, and look where he is now. But you have to help him to back up in his life before the destruction and evaluate where his heart has been. What was the condition of the heart prior to the destruction? Were there evidences of pridefulness, arrogance? Here's another quote. I, I really liked this. Proud men are always standing on the edge of a fearful precipice from whence they will soon tumble into destruction. That's a truth for us. So before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty. How about this in Proverbs 28, 14? How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Did, did Job fall into calamity? Yeah. But was it because of hardness of heart? No. So you have to back up before the calamity in the life. 
and help them see if there might be something to measure about their hearts that they need to see. The presence of calamity is just an opportunity to evaluate the heart's hardness or its softness. What was the condition of the heart prior to the calamity? And what is the hardness of heart that when they fall into calamity, what is that contrasted with the first part of Proverbs twenty-eight fourteen? How blessed is the man who fears always. To, to live a life in the fear of the Lord is a way to have a soft heart, right? To keep your heart from hardness is to live in the fear of Yahweh always. Um, here's a way that I like to think about. Um, it gives me a vivid picture of what a hardness of heart is like. Um, you know when your kids tie their shoes and um, it gets into a knot, but they keep playing for five more hours and it's been stepped on and pulled and they've tripped over it five times. It's got water. It's wet now because they, they were running through the gutter and there's all kinds of stuff on it. And that... And then they want you to, to undo the knot. Okay, that knot, you cannot just take your finger and... I mean, what are you looking for to undo that knot? You're like taking out your, you're taking out your knife. You're taking out something sharp. You're taking out an iron hook. You're looking for anything that will stand up against the hardness of that knot, right? Um, do you want your heart that way? Where the only way that somebody can get to what's going on inside your heart is, is they're going to have to get rough? Or do you want your heart in a condition that it just takes a little bit of effort and you can just pull it apart and it's soft? Right? <laughs> I love it. So you need to be thinking about the presence of trouble in a life, the presence of calamity in a life, those are, all those are is they're opportunities to enter into, uh, with sympathy, into a, a brother's life, care for him, and then say, you know what, let's back up and let's just take a look at your life before it happened. Not so that you can prove to him that he was hard of heart or that he was arrogant, but so that you can help him see if that was a part of it because Proverbs tells you, that those things go before calamity and before trouble. So, four questions for you every day. You can take measurements of yourself frequently with these questions. Do I value right now God's assessment of my heart? Or do I think my own assessment of my heart is infallible at the moment? Number two, am I more inclined right now in this situation, in this, con- in, in this conversation or whatever I'm in, to carefully control my heart or am I just blindingly following whatever my heart is putting before me? Thirdly, do I know in what ways my heart is vulnerable? What makes my heart sink? What makes my heart lose sight of God? What makes my heart sick? Do I know that? And when trouble comes, will, will I take the time to back up and measure the condition of my heart? So God's wise assessment of the heart can lead us to ask those questions, okay? That right there, guys, is our last dealing with this year uh, in a lesson, um, our heart. Um, Where we're going to be doing the next two times together is we're going to be looking at um, um, qualifications. On your calendar, it says next time is um, the deacon qualifications, but we're going to switch those two lessons And I'm going to do the elder qualifications with you. And then Scott will do the deacon qualifications with you after that. 
And then the last two times we're together, we'll, we'll just dig into what hermeneutics are. What, what, how should we interpret the Bible? And uh, those are some of my favorite things to teach and, and work on. So um, this is your last lesson that you'll get this year. Do not, we're not graduating from the heart, but this is the last lesson. We have to have a last lesson on the heart at some point, and it was today. Okay? All right, let's pray, and then we are done. Okay? Father in heaven, would you please um, help us um, as men be able to assess this heart? Lord, we, we may at points in this feel like we just want to throw our hands up and say, well, then why would I even try to examine this thing that can be so tainted and, and yet have goodness? And, and, and Lord, what we need to do is we need to just back up and remind ourselves that this condition of this heart now is totally, completely better than what it was before you were ever in our lives. We had no desire to evaluate our hearts before except to justify ourselves and to justify our sin. And yet now we are in a place where we have to fight and we have to labor and we have to live with a degree of um, with understanding that we're not omniscient in regards to our hearts. And, and that's hard, but Lord, it's better than where we were. And yet, Lord, where we stand today, we look forward to heaven and we look forward to being of a, such a condition inwardly before you where there is no more impurity at all. Oh, Lord, help us to live where you have us today. Let us not live in the past. We cannot live in heaven yet, but we can live where we are and we need to assess these hearts and may we value your assessment of our hearts above our own. And we ask for this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for coming.